What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Monroe Show. I am here with former Division One runner for William and Mary and current YouTuber with seventy-two thousand subscribers, Zach Levitt. Thank you so much for coming on, Zach. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. Excited to hear your questions and get this going. Yeah, it should be a good one. So, um, just to start off, kind of the trend has been just talking about your hometown, where you grew up, and uh, since you're a former Division One runner, tell me a little bit how you got into running. Um, and this kind of how that formed your childhood, or even if you started later, kind of how that formed you, you as a person in high school. Yeah, so my hometown is Richmond, Virginia, and it is just a cool little town in Virginia. And I grew up with like a really good network of friends, and especially my high school friends were a lot of like runners and a lot of people on the team. And I got into it even before high school. Um, and I got into it in middle school because I ran for the high school team as a middle schooler. And then that wrote me into like a whole group of friends. And basically like my team at home, my home team, whatever, deep run, was like super good. And it made me fall in love with the sport. And it made me just get really close with my friends on the team. And like that team chemistry led to running better and better. And like I kept getting better until it was like time to go to college. And uh, basically I was like, oh, well, now I can run in college. And then. I committed to college and then right after I committed to William and Mary, I like won states in cross country, which was like a dream of mine. And uh, yeah, I just had like a really good hometown experience with an incredible team and they're still my best friends to date. So it's a pretty special experience. I definitely love my hometown, hometown friends. Damn, that sounds like a pretty good come up story. So did you start running? um, Was it like kind of the beginning of middle school or did you pick it up like sixth, seventh, eighth grade? So I started in sixth grade with sixth grade, like middle school track. Um, and I did seventh grade, but like the coach from the high school who became my coach, Drew Spicer, basically came to the middle school and like talked to us and was like, Hey, like if you are really interested in running, you can come and run for the high school team as an eighth grader, uh, for cross country. And my sister was on the team. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And like, this, this should be fun. Um, and then that kind of like wrote me into it. And so I started in sixth grade. I've, I've been in it for a while. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. I, I know that I don't think every state allows like middle schoolers to run for the high school team. I know it was a pretty big thing when like Grace Ping ran for her high school at NXN and was like just obliterating everybody at a super young age. So <laughs> that's cool that you got to grow up in a place where they let you do that. Because I mean, honestly, sometimes it's for the better for kids who are just like not getting enough training in as a middle schooler and they're just ready to make that next step. No, definitely. I was really lucky to have that because it it definitely like introduced me to some people that were like greats on the team that were graduating the year that I was going to be a freshman. So like the year before I would have been there, I guess. Um, And like introducing me to them, like led me to like understand the culture of like success. And so like it's really cool that I got to be on that team before, you know, I I could actually be on the team. Oh, yeah. So William and Mary is where you ended up for college. Tell me a little bit how... Like, tell me about the recruiting process you went through. Like, if William Mary was your number one decision the whole time, or if there was other players that you're considering, or just kind of break down how you ended up making that decision to go to William and Mary. Yeah, so I'd I'd always been pretty academic, and I'd really you know liked academics. I guess later in high school, at the beginning of high school, I wasn't as in on it all, but uh, by the end, I was like pretty academically in touch and my sister had gone to the University of Virginia which is a pretty good school in Virginia and I really wanted to go there because I'd been there I'd hung out with her there and you know I really really loved that place um but when I was in the recruiting process I emailed the wrong person for the University of Virginia I I emailed someone that's not in charge of recruiting and that kind of led me to never get a response from them um so I was like oh I guess they're off the table I was also looking at VCU which is like really close to me but they were like more like just like the safety and then there's the University of Richmond which is also really close and they were a really cool team and then William and Mary and so it was basically between the four of them except UVA was off the table so it's down to the three of them and U of R was like really interesting but the team is really small and they don't have a track program so I was like um maybe that one's out and then it was between William and Mary and VCU and VCU is not as academic and also the team wasn't as good and so I was like well cutting everything down like breaking it down this is the best place I should go and so I went on my visit to William & Mary and I had a really good experience I thought it was very interesting 
and it was definitely nothing like UVA. It was different in that way. Like um, I'd say a lot more academic feeling. I don't know if it was because of my host, but um, how my sister lived college and how my host on my visit lived college um, they were very different. And uh, I was like, I don't know. Like I, I felt at the time that all colleges were made equal. And so I was like, let's do it. Let's go to William & Mary. Let's see what happens. Like this will be fun. It's like you can create your own experience wherever you go. Um, and so I committed to William & Mary like on my visit, which was like pretty shocking. And I think a lot of people were excited and it was, it was, it was, it was exciting for me. It was a good time. I was really excited about it. Oh yeah. That's awesome. William & Mary is definitely like a really good school to go to. And just like that whole process of the, like the recruiting process and all that. It's just a really exciting time. That's, that's awesome that you committed on your visit. I feel like that's sometimes like when you visit the college, you just know, and you just really want to commit right on spot. But yeah, that's awesome that you were able to do that. Yeah. And I, I think it was a lot of, because like it felt right, but also it was like, I don't know what is the next option. And I was kind of getting nervous about, you know, timing and all that, because a lot of times I feel like the recruiting process feels rushed, even though it may not actually be like a lot of coaches put deadlines on things. But like, I think at the end of the day, I should like, not that I should have spent more time, but I think that for people that may be going through it, like don't rush yourself. Like there will always be opportunities for you. Like, I just want to say that. I just want to put that out there. Um, That's just like something that came to mind. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember when I was going on my visits and stuff, I remember I visited University of Oregon and I was like so sure that that, that was the school that I was going to go to. I was just so ready to commit there. And then I was, my mom was like, you are not going to cancel any of your other visits. Like you made commitments to these coaches. You need to go and like be respectful. And like, this is, these are the choices that you made. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll finish. And I went and I went on my visit to Stanford. And then I was like, wow, I like this so much more than Oregon. So I was <laughs> crazy how it's like, was really close to making that, that decision on spot when, yeah, sometimes it's better just to like weigh out your options, but also, I mean, can't really pass up William and Mary. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Not the same as Stanford, but you know, it, it almost is good. <laughs> All right, so um, tell me a little bit about like when the YouTube channel came into play, like when you started to think about starting a YouTube channel, and then when you actually when you actually pulled the trigger. Yeah, so I actually had a YouTube channel when I was like ten years old, which was pretty cool. I made like over a hundred videos for this channel, and I was really into technology at the time, and so I was making tech videos and kind of you know doing that whole tech YouTuber thing before that was even a thing. Like I'm sure MKBHD had like 20,000 subscribers then and now he has like 10 million. So it was like the early days of YouTube and I was making videos on my iPod touch with my friends and it was like really fun and really cool. And then like, I kind of realized, what am I doing? Like I have like 200 subscribers. Like, let me, let me get off this thing and like have a real life. Like, why am I committing so much time to this? I don't know. I was like, I'm not gonna get famous. I don't know. I don't know. But then I had a hiatus from YouTube, I guess, but I was still like an avid YouTube watcher. And right before college, I just had this like feeling that I could make a really good YouTube video. Like I'd watched enough and I knew enough about editing and making videos. So I was like, all I need is like a good camera with solid autofocus. And I was going on a trip to Yosemite and San Francisco and all that stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to buy a camera with all this graduation money. And so I bought a camera and I... I didn't make a video about Yosemite till later. I just recorded it and kind of got comfortable with the camera. And then when I got home, I just spent like a couple weeks trying to formulate my first video. And I was just like, this is going to be a good decision. It's going to be a great way to document college. And it's not like I started it to get famous or anything, or I'm not famous, but like, you know, I, I didn't start to get famous. I started it like to document my life and what was going on and the whole college thing and college running. And, you know, it, quickly grew faster than I expected and became something that was more than I ever expected. And, you know, my life has spiraled way off of what I ever expected. Like, it's just really blown me away what has happened because of YouTube's like positive impact on my life. Do you remember what that first video was about? Yeah, my first video was me just basically trying to explain who I was in a concise manner. And I think it is really difficult to make a video explaining who you are in your life when, you know, you a haven't done it, but also maybe don't know too much about your life because it's not that I didn't know who I was or what I was doing. But I just think that, you know, my view on the world and stuff was so much smaller than like 
as compared to now, like if I was to remake that video, I would say completely different things. But I think it was just interesting. And I like looking back on it. It took me like a thousand tries to make that video. I made it like 20 times before I finally posted it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, I bet the hardest part too was once you had the video completed, just like kind of getting the guts just to post it and publish it and be like, all right, there's no going back. Like I put in a lot of work <laughs> and I like, who knows how people are going to react, but I just need to throw this out there and get started with it. That's kind of how I felt. But also I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody. So it wasn't too nerve wracking for me because I was like, this is going to be like my little secret project. Um, and I like, I barely told my like girlfriend at the time. I told her like a week after, after it had been posted. And I told like my best friend, like right as I was making it. Um, and so it was like, it was kind of funny. It was like a top secret project. Like I was not going to post on my Instagram, anything like that. Like I didn't want my future team to know about it. So it was, it was a secret thing until I had like 2000 subscribers or something like that. So, wow, you were, you were growing as a channel, even without telling other people about it. Yeah. So that was like my whole idea. I wanted to see if I could organically grow the channel with no like Instagram promotion. I just wanted to see if like I could do it. And also just because it was for me, I wasn't so worried about, oh, like I need to promote it on my Instagram and all that stuff. It was more just like, I'm just making these videos each week. I made a commitment to make a video every single week because I knew like if I wanted it to grow, if I wanted to actually stay loyal to making videos, I would have to make one every week. And so I committed to Tuesdays and I made a video every single Tuesday from that first Tuesday till the end of my college career, like till that summer. Um, so like a whole year pretty much of every Tuesday posting. That is crazy. I feel like that that's definitely a good um, representation of consistency is key when it comes to YouTube. Oh, it's everything. It's everything. And like, I learned that more and more every single day. So how did you um, kind of work out this whole balancing school running and YouTube? Like for school and running alone is a lot to deal with. Like you're, you're training a lot. You got to make sure that you stay eligible. You got to take care of your body. You got to train. How did you kind of fit your YouTube channel in there and like still remain consistent? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually struggled with this a bit, but somewhat by choice on the in the later end. But in the beginning, like I remember at orientation, you know, I was there and orientation for us was the first week of school. So you didn't like go to orientation, leave and then come back. You just were there. And I remember I had to make a video on that Tuesday. And I remember also having to get a run in and all that stuff. And on or orientation week, everything's orchestrated. Like your entire day is planned out from start to finish. And then you go to bed, basically. So, so hard for me to edit and do all these things and also get my runs in. And I just remember that was like the start of finding the balance. And I was like sneaking out to like make time and like to record and then edit and then just like sneaking out. And so basically for me, like my way of balancing it was to focus very highly on the thing that I was doing at the moment. So like when I had to make my video, I would just dedicate Tuesdays to making my video. Like sometimes I would record, edit, post all on Tuesday. I would just spend the entire day doing it, which is probably not the best because it led to me skipping a lot of class. But, you know, I would record sometimes the day before and then edit. But like it really helped me just to section off my time to truly focus on it because with school and running, with William Mary being a somewhat like difficult school um i really did have to focus on those two things and getting sleep and then the youtube had to not be like a side hustle but it really had to be something that i had to focus on separately was it hard for you to kind of look at youtube as a side hustle or was it was it just fine for the moment or were you kind of just like trying to push it away like under the table like keeping it as just a hobby but then started to realize that you wanted to pursue it more than just a hobby um, I think for me, it was initially I was just posting these little videos, but as like my videos started to gain more following, it started to get like more exciting for me. And, you know, I, I'm somebody that's like, I wouldn't say ADHD. I mean, I'm probably ADHD, but you know, my focus shifts to what's most interesting. Like there's no reason for me to focus on school when I'm so interested in this YouTube thing. And it's not like there's no reason to, it's just my mind is like, oh my gosh, YouTube is doing well, like, let's do this. Because I've always wanted to make something that like became something. I've always wanted to like make products and design things. And, you know, this is like the first time I've like seen success out of the like many projects that I've tried in my entire life. And so, you know, when I was seeing it succeed, it was like, it was just taking my full attention. And um, 
it wasn't like seen as a hobby. It was just, this is the thing that I need to do. It was like my sole mission. And so like school kind of got put on the back burner. And as it grew more rapidly and as I got bigger, like by the end of college, I was barely going to class because I was so focused on just thinking of video ideas, trying to make two videos a week, trying to do all this stuff and run really, really, really well and get all my sleep that I could and like made sure I didn't skimp on getting eight hours. So it kind of like consumed my life, I guess, while I was at school, which is... Um, when did you start to see like a, like a growth in your YouTube channel when it started to become apparent that this was going to be something more than just a hobby where maybe people were watching, maybe they weren't? Um. So I posted my second video a week after my first because I was consistent on that. And that video was like highly targeted at growth. It was something that I knew could be searched pretty easily. It was like how to run faster in a 5k. And that video started to get views pretty consistently. It started to pop up in search. And so I started to see that video go from like 100 views to like 500 views to 1000 views. I remember like on the first week of or like first week of class I was like oh my gosh like the channel's at like 200 subscribers that's pretty crazy and then I posted this recap of Elliot Kipchoge's um marathon he like basically set the world record for the marathon and I was like oh my gosh if I make a recap right now it just has to be a short video it's gonna get a ton of views and at the time it got like 20,000 views which was huge at the time and it grew me from like 200 subscribers to a above a thousand and so I never had to worry about like breaking a thousand subscribers because it all happened in like one day when I got like 20,000 views I was like oh my gosh like this is the craziest thing and then like it just kind of spiraled from there as like I kept posting videos and the momentum grew and it's all about building momentum and like that's something that was very evident and I don't know I guess just after like posting that Kipchoge video I was like wow like this can really grow like if I just really focus and make intelligent decisions as to what videos I post and when I post them, like this could be big. And uh, that's kind of when it, when it stuck for me pretty early on. Gotcha. So when did you finally like make that decision to kind of just be done with school and pursue this, this YouTube career? And also I, I saw in your Instagram bio that you're aspiring to be a professional runner as well. Um, when did you kind of make that decision and like how hard was it to make that decision and actually kind of go along with it instead of just keeping it as like a fantasy? Yeah, I, I think like towards the start of the second semester of college in my freshman year, I wrote in my like journal or notebook, whatever you want to call it, like work hard to drop out. Like that was like a big thing. Like I wrote it huge, like across two pages. And it was something that I was like, if I work really hard at this YouTube thing, like I can drop out because I, I wasn't loving school. It wasn't like for me and I could tell. And I was like, I don't really know why I'm here because I know that this can become something. But the whole time I was like fighting in my mind. I was like, no, like I can't, I can't, like I have to run in college. Like I have to do this. I have to do like what people say. And it's hard to go against the grain. It's hard to drop out of college. It's not easy um, because like everybody expects you. And especially from where I'm from and like, from, I guess, you know, my perspective, everybody does it. And so I was like, this is going to be hard. And once I got to the summer, I was really like in a state of contemplation. And for a matter of like, not to say months, but like serious chunk of weeks, I was just like sitting around making videos and just like thinking really hard. Like in my spare time, I wasn't hanging out with friends and when I wasn't making videos, I would just be like laying in my bed and just be thinking like, what would happen if I did this? Like kind of visualizing, visualizing my life. And and I don't know, at some point I was just like thinking about buying a van and all of this stuff and living in different places. And one day I just, I just snapped. Like I was like, screw it. Like I'm going to drop out of college and buy a van and build it out and live in a van and travel all over the country. And my friend Bashir, like one of my best friends in the entire world, uh, he was gave me some advice. He was like, because in my contemplation stage, like I really was stressing out and I was like telling him about it. And he was like, you can't stress out about it. Like, this isn't something that, you know, you will just, this is something that will come to you. Like this is a decision being who you are, somebody that just makes like very sporadic decisions, either it'll come to you or it won't. And I was like, wow, like that's deep because it really just came to me one day. And if I had just spent all those days not stressing out and like thinking about it so much I think it would just come to me naturally but I spent so much time stressing out and be sure give me great advice to just let it come to me because it did and I just did it all in like in like in a week my life just entirely changed so within a week of making that decision to 
drop out of college and start pursuing this new career, that's when you, you bought your van as well. Yeah. I bought my van like, like three days after I dropped out of college. And, uh, like the day before I bought the van, I called my, my college coach and was like, Hey, like I'm not coming back. <laughs> and that was like a really hard call to make. And I was really stressed to make that call. Uh, but I did it and it was kind of crazy because it all happened. And I was just like, Whoa, my life just went from going like one way to completely going the other. Was that a pretty car, a pretty hard conversation to have with your parents as well? Or were they pretty supportive of it from the get go? My parents have always been supportive of it. And um, like, I'm really, really grateful for that. I think like um, a lot of parents may not be as lenient with like some, their child dropping out of school. And I guess like going against the grain a bit and living in a van and making YouTube videos. But luckily my, my parents were very chill with it, I'll say. <laughs> and they um, were supportive along the way. That's all. That's really good to hear. Honestly, it's yeah. I feel like when when someone makes a decision like that, the last, the most, the least beneficial thing that could happen is having your parents try to convince you otherwise, or try to make you stay in school and kind of go against what you want to do. So that's really cool to hear that your parents were really supportive about it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm really grateful for that. So, tell me a little bit about how like the process of turning a van into a house to live in as you drive it across the country. Cause I have no, I have no idea what that process looks like. <laughs> yeah. It's actually crazy because I didn't know what it looked like before I bought the van. I, I just bought the van and my friend Jake and I stripped it down. We, we cleaned it out. We gutted it. We did all that stuff. He came with me to buy it. My friend Jake Schindel, he's a great friend of mine and he helped me through this entire process and like, we basically just would look things up online and be like, how do we do this? And there were a couple guides I followed and, and we just started building it out. Like you build a house. Like we, we basically built the, the, um, the struts. Like we, we built the, um, I forget what it's called. It's, it's not coming to mind, but it's like, it's like the support beams, whatever. And then we insulated and then we ran the wiring and then we layered on top the, the walls and then we built the inside out and like, it was like building a house, but inside a van. And I just kind of figured it out with YouTube and with the internet. And that's kind of like how my entire life has been. Like I've learned how to edit videos on the internet and like I can attribute so many things I've learned to the internet and building out this van was a testament to that because who knew that I could build a van into a house uh, with my friend Jake and with my dad um, and with my other friends that came to help every now and then like it's really shocking and whenever i look at the van i'm like oh my gosh like i i did this like every single piece of this i took part in which is really crazy and it's really cool um but it's an interesting process to say the least a lot of problem solving so during this process did you ever kind of like doubt your decision and kind of question yourself like wow am i like while i'm building this van turning it into a home is this really what i'm supposed to be doing like oh man, I shouldn't have dropped out of college. I, sh I should have gone back. I should have just kept going with the grain. Did you ever have those conflicting thoughts or were you just kind of full scent on it the entire time? I didn't have those thoughts while building out the van. While building out the van, all my friends were still at home. And so like that thought didn't really pass through my mind. I just kind of felt like we were all on summer break doing our thing. But kind of when everybody started going back to school, I realized that my summer break was unlike everybody else's and it would continue for as long as I wanted essentially forever and so um yeah it was it was more so afterwards when i was like actually just me in the van yeah it might be that's probably a weird weird time in your life when you've been going to school for so long and then all of a sudden you see everyone else going back to school and you're like wow like it that's probably when everything came real to you that you actually made this decision to commit to something that most people would never commit to Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it was the first year that I didn't have to go back to school and, and it really did just feel like my summer break continued. It didn't feel like I was n like missing out on school. I just, I was like, huh, like, I guess summer break lasts forever. It was only like, I only really noticed it when I started seeing like people post on Instagram, like pictures of being back at school. And I was like, I kind of had like FOMO, like, uh, just like with the whole experience. I, I still today occasionally feel that, but like, the moment I realized like, what would I be doing after college? I realized that like, I would be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. And so I'm like, why would I postpone my life for three more years to do exactly what I'm doing right now? And, um, and, and so, you know, I'm really grateful for my decision. And like, I don't 
like even though there is FOMO occasionally, like I think it's super unfounded and just something that's built into me by the society that I grew up in and the culture that I grew up in. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting paradox that you're talking about. Like when you're in college, you have this FOMO of like, man, I could be out of college right now. I could be living my dream, traveling the country, like being a YouTuber, trying to be a pro runner. Yeah. Then the second you do it, you're like, man, like I could be in class right now, like in English learning yeah calculus so that's really that's really interesting actually (laughs) yeah no a lot of people that i've talked to have had like the fomo um like a lot of people that i've talked to that have dropped out of college have fomo of college i guess the experience of college um but everybody seems to like really enjoy their decision the people that have because most of the people that i've encountered are also doing something really cool like i'm sure if like you drop out and like you're just working like a typical like you know, not like, not like a, like just like a standard job. Um, you know, it may not be as exciting, but like for people that are like living in a van and traveling the country, it may feel like more of a good decision. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's true. It's just like a a weird thought. Oh yeah, for sure. So as you started, are you, wait, first of all, are you traveling alone or do you have someone with you? I'm traveling alone, but I like to have friends with me whenever I can. It's always good to have other people in the van. I had my friend Cole out for the start of getting back to the van because I like went home for a couple of weeks and then came back and he came with me. And then I traveled back up the coast with some friends, but I'm alone in the van 97% of the time. Wow. How, how has that kind of impacted your kind of your thought process around things? Like, Do you use that as a time to think and make decisions or do you just kind of like space out when you're when you're traveling the country um yeah like I I think when I'm driving I end up talking to friends a lot like I end up calling people I use like my driving time as like my catching up with friends family all that time and so I use the time like to be with people I guess in a way um but I also take a lot of time to like think and listen to audiobooks and and listen to music and just you know like experience what the world has to offer I guess but a lot of times when I'm actually in a location um, I'm like fully immersed and I make friends there and I build a community there and I think that's something that's been really special throughout this entire trip that like I haven't had many nights where I've just been like feeling very alone and like being just so alone because either I'll have friends I can call and like friends I can talk to or I'll literally be with real new friends that I've met or friends in my new community and um like whenever I move locations for like an ex- like for an extended period of time like when I was in Boulder and now when I'm in LA and when I was in San Francisco um there's always like a initial period of like feeling kind of down and being like dang like I don't know anybody here like I have, I literally have nobody to reach out to um, and that's when I like talk to my home friends a little bit more, but then I slowly build that community and then I start to feel more at home in the place that I'm at. And, uh, I think it's like really special in each location because now I have clusters of friends all throughout the country, um, that I've really built deep communities with. Was LA always the the place you were shooting for or did that kind of just happen? I think in the back of my mind, it was, I think a lot of things about LA are special and one of which being the fact that there's so many like creators here and so many people like doing things and making things happen. And so in the back of my mind, I think that was, um, but it did take me a while to get here and it wasn't a priority to get here. I think like the biggest priority was to get out to Boulder, Colorado for a while. Um, and then when I was there, I was, I was loving it and it was incredible. Um, but then I was starting to think about, huh, like warm weather sounds nice also. And, you know, then I made my way out to California. So it wasn't always the like deep end goal, but being here, I'm really happy to be here. And there's definitely more places that I will go, but I do think I will be here for a while and really try and build a lot of things here. So you also ran a marathon in this somewhere in this along this journey. Did that start <laughs> yes. when you um when you reached Boulder, or were you kind of training as you drove out to Boulder? So when I dropped out, I was like, what am I going to do for running? I like, of course, I need to do something for running. Like I want to, like I love running, um, but I didn't know exactly what at the moment. Um, and I started to think and I was like, a marathon would be pretty cool. And I heard the trial standard. I was like, I could probably get close to that or hit that. Um, and so I looked up the fastest marathon. People said CIMs, like one of the fastest, they pacers, all this stuff. I got pretty excited. I was like, maybe I could hit it. Like, you know, why not? Let's try. Um, and so I kind of went for the marathon, 
with no deep rationale besides the fact that, you know, I can't do cross country with the team any longer. And this is kind of like a cross country race. Uh, not really, but kind of. And, uh, you know, I just went for it. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do a marathon. And so going out to Boulder was really big because it's at altitude. It's just a great training environment and 10 man elites out there and, you know, a lot of great athletes. And so, um, you know, I was just trying to get out there to train for my marathon. Um, but it wasn't like super, super thought out. It was mostly just like, I need to run. <laughs> Let's run a marathon. Yeah, and you debuted in 225, which is definitely a really good debut marathon. Um, did you Were you training on your own or did you have someone coaching you through the process? So I was actually really, really lucky to have Drew Hunter coach me. He's like an incredible runner. He's a big inspiration to me. He was like one of the few people to ever break four in high school in the mile. Um, he's just an incredible athlete that started to man elite and um, well, co- co-started, co-created. Um, and I was lucky enough to like link up with him on, so- on social media, then get coffee with him. And then he was like, do you have a coach? And I was like, uh, not yet. Um, and he was like, well, I'll coach you. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, come over tonight and we can plan out your schedule and stuff. And I can learn more about your training and how you train and stuff. And I was like, incredible. And so went over to his house and he worked out a training plan. And then, you know, I continued to check up with him and he, he coached me through it all. It was incredible. Damn, that's pretty, that's awesome that that worked out for you like that. What was your, what was your training look, looking like as you were building up for the marathon, like mileage wise? Um, I think like Drew and Tim Mann like to not focus too much on mileage and more so on time and, and effort and, and aqua jogging and all that stuff. It's more of like a holistic uh, way of training. And so a lot of my runs were like time-based, but I obviously like tracked my miles. Um, I kind of worked up to like near 100. Like I worked up to like maybe 96, uh, not super high, but we did like a lot of like hill training and a lot of aqua jogging. So when I ran like 95 miles in a week, I also had like, an hour and a half of aqua jogging to add on to that exercise time. And so I think it was like a very like well-rounded and not super like uh, three workouts a week and like two in a long run every week and a tempo run a week. Like it was not very structured in that way. It was more so like you're going to go for a 30 minute run in the morning, a 60 minute run in the afternoon. And then the next day you're going to go for like a 60 minute run and then aqua jog in the afternoon. And like, it was more like that. And um, the workouts were the heavy focus and the, the easy runs were super easy. The emphasis was like, like Drew was like, you should not be running faster than seven minute pace on your easy days. And I was like, okay, like I'm used to running like six thirties. Like this sounds great. And by the end I started to realize why, because I started running like seven thirties, seven forties on my easy days because the workouts are so hard and they really do so much to your body that you need to take those days as recovery. And so there's heavy emphasis on the workouts. There's not a lot of them, but they're keystone. And then the easy days are easy. And I just think it's really good and interesting training, something that I've never had. You know, I haven't had a lot of aqua jogging incorporated into my training when I've been healthy. Um, and so it was really cool. It was definitely a very cool training. Yeah. And that was probably a pretty big jump to make. Like in college, you're training for like mile, 5K, 10K at most. And then you just, now all of a sudden you can do whatever you want and you just make the jump to a marathon, which is definitely has to be completely different training than what you were doing in college. Oh yeah, completely different. Um, I loved my college training and Forrest Braden is a great coach, uh, but marathon training was incredibly interesting and something that I I don't I don't not want to see again, but it, it's really difficult and very taxing and something that will take me a while to build back up to for sure. So are you still kind of planning on furthering your career as a runner or now that you're in LA, are you starting to focus more on maybe other career paths like your YouTube channel? Um, I'm definitely focusing a lot more on my YouTube channel and my career. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not focused on running because I still want to break 14 minutes in the 5k this year. I still want to run incredibly fast and do a lot of things with running. Um, it's just that right now, I think it's most important for me to focus on my career. Um, but that's not to say that I'm not going to be running. Like I am going to be training for the LA half and hopefully we'll run pretty fast, but it's not like I'm completely pushing full gas on this because I feel like I need more of a healthy balance between the two. And I think if I go a little bit higher intensity 
and a little bit less time, I can balance both really well and still be getting really good at running. And I think training for a 5K as opposed to a marathon is a lot less consuming because when you're training for a marathon, that is your life. It's very hard to train for a marathon at a high level and not make it your life because either you're going to be so drained from training or you're just literally not going to have enough time because you're running so much. And I think a 5K is a sweet spot where I can be training super, super hard and you know tiring myself out and getting a good workout in but also not depleting my life so I can't do work. Because a lot of times when I was training for the marathon, I was just so drained that I couldn't even do work. I was just like, I just need to lay down and relax. Like my body is destroyed from this run. Um, so I, I'm focused on running, but it's not my complete focus. Yeah, I got you. No, that's, that's good that you're starting to find out like that balance that you're trying to hit about being passionate about running and also your YouTube channel. Um, yeah, definitely. Talk a little bit about what it's like to live in a van in regards to like finding places to, to park the van. Like, do you have to pay for parking or pay for a campsite or do you just kind of park your van along the road and just sleep in it for the night and then keep going? So this, this moment I'm paying to park exactly where I am. It's $2.50 per hour, uh, but this is only till 6 o'clock and then it's free. So like I actually have a really great understanding of when you can park places and when you cannot because I have to do it a lot. But my biggest thing is I like to park in neighborhoods and places that like just don't have any signage or that are really chill about signage. And it's harder to find in LA, but I've started to be able to find places that I can park. And um, in Boulder, it was really easy. I could just like go into any neighborhood and park for the night. And I don't know, for me, it's like, I don't really care to go to campgrounds because for me, it's like my house, you know, I'm just retreating to my house and, you know, at night, I don't really care too much what it looks like because most of the time I'm about to start my day and go to a coffee shop and edit or go for a run or meet up with some people. And so it's just finding a good place to park that's in a good location that has no restrictions. I can sleep in, I can do whatever. Um, And, you know, it it has been difficult at times, especially when getting to new places. But once you become familiar with an area, it becomes super easy and it's never a problem, but I definitely pay for parking every now and then, but I have never paid a campground fee. That's one thing that I haven't paid. I have been to many campgrounds, or not many. I've been to a handful, and shamefully, I have not paid those fees, and I just want to, you know, I need, I got to be honest. I, I haven't. Sometimes I forgot, and, you know, but I've never gotten in trouble for it, so that's good, but a lot yeah. of, like, free parking, a lot of paid parking. Um, neighborhoods are great. <laughs> You know, man, you've put in so much work to literally turn a van into a house. Like, I think you deserve to miss out on a few campsite fees. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, it's so hard for me to pay them when I I sleep for free, like every night. And when my friends are at a campground, I'm like, okay, like, can I just say that with you guys? Like, I feel like it's, I feel like it's fair. You know, we just have an extra car. Oh yeah, for sure. Have you (laughs) Have you had any complications with your van at all driving it across the country? As in like with the police or complications um, with the van? Kind of, um, like police or have you had like a tire blowout or had any like, com- like complications with like the engine or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I actually have. So early on in Virginia, when I was leaving Virginia Tech, I had a tire blowout and it kind of ripped apart the backside of my van. It didn't rip it apart, but it bent it up a little bit, which was weird. Tire completely blew out, blew out, which was a big problem. I had to get AAA to come and fix the tire, all that stuff. I didn't have a heavy enough jack or didn't have a jack. Um, and then I had my batteries die in Boulder. And then I've had my solar, my solar electrical system. Those batteries die in Boulder and I still need to replace them and fix them. But I just haven't had the time and the tools to do so. Um, and then when I was back home over break, Baxter, my good friend who lives in outside of San Francisco, um, he was taking care of the van. And for some reason, something happened and there was like this big issue. And somehow he resolved it with AAA. And I was really grateful that he resolved it by the time I got home. But uh, yeah, there's been many complications. And then I also had a couple run-ins with the police, which is never good. Uh, But like when I was at home still building it out, one of my neighbors like followed me into my neighborhood um, like just naturally, they just naturally are coming into the neighborhood also. And I was kind of sketched out. I was like, why is this person following me? I was like, this is weird. Uh, so I made a couple turns and they're still following me. I was like, Ooh, and I didn't know if they lived like right next to me or not. But, um, so I did a loop around and they thought I was suspicious for doing a loop around to try and leave. 
And they called the police on me, even though I pulled up to them. And I was like, hey, like, I'm your neighbor, because I could tell they were calling the police. I was like, hey, I'm your neighbor. You don't have to call the police. And then they were acting like, they were like, he's yelling at me. He's yelling at me. And it was just like this really weird scenario where she was like trying to blame me as if I was like doing something super wrong. And I was like, I'm just trying to park my van in my neighborhood. Like, it's it's not anything weird. And the cops came and I was like, this is what happened. And they were like, okay, you're good. Don't worry. And I was like, cool. And then a weird scenario also happened in Sacramento where I was just sleeping in this one spot. I was on the phone with my friends and um, I like see these lights come up to my van. Like I just see brightness outside my van somehow. And, um, and I hear a knock and I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm like either that's somebody here to kill me. And I was like, okay, let me prepare for that. Or it's the police. And I like kind of peep out and I see like a police uniform and he's like, it's the police. And I was like, Oh, I was like, oh, that's not good. Uh, so I like open the door. They're like, show me your hands. And I like put my hands up because I was like, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything. And they're like, we got a complaint. Um, we need you like, uh, let me see your license registration. I showed that to them. They're like, you're not doing anything wrong. Um, they just were freaked out. And I was like, I understand. And they're like, can you just like move up the block so we can look like we're doing our job? And I was like, sounds great. That's perfect. I was like freaked out and I was shook up for the night. But I got to park somewhere and I was fine. It was good. Um, but never any like negative run-ins. Like it's all been good. I've always been on the right. So, uh, or in the right. So, you know, a lot of interesting scenarios with the van. Oh yeah, for sure. I guess when you start living in a van, it probably brings on a whole new set of household complications. Like having a cop <laughs> show up at your door asking you to move your house down the street. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really odd. You know, a lot of times when you're in your house, you don't have to worry about the police coming to your door. But for me, you know, they, they always ask me to move my van down the street. So it's kind of weird. Do you have like a TV or anything inside your van and a refrigerator and stuff like that? I have a refrigerator, but I'm not a big TV watcher. Like I never watch TV at home. So it's like, like I've, I don't even like watch Netflix or anything. Like I'm so uncultured in the TV and movie scene. It's crazy. All I would do is watch YouTube on my computer every now and then and on my phone every now and then. And that's like it. Like that's my media for for time. But I do have like a refrigerator and uh, lights in here and chargers and all that stuff. But since my solar batteries are dead, um, I can only charge during the day now, which is a little bit of a bummer. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So now that you're in LA, have you started to network at all with any other YouTube creators or have you just kind of stuck within like a certain social group that you knew before you got out there? So I actually knew nobody in in LA, which is really interesting because I knew a lot of people in San Francisco and my friend knew a lot of people down the coast, nobody in LA. And so I've had to establish my own community here and I've come into contact with probably like a hundred plus creators that are equally as large as me or like way larger than me. Um, and I've definitely made some good friends. I went to this like social networking event and it was like, it was technically a party for artists and creators held by Universal Music Group. It was a Grammys week party. And I also went to this place called the Link House where a lot of TikTokers were and a lot of those things were. And so it was really interesting. And I actually just made a video on it and it's going to be posted right as this podcast finish finishes. Uh, so you should check that one out. It'll be really interesting. It kind of shows a lot of people that I've met. I've met some very famous people, some very people as famous as me, uh, which is, I don't consider myself famous, but like fellow small influencers also don't like the word influencer. I don't know. It's, it's There's so many like weird like things around it. But yeah, I met a lot of cool people. Hopefully we'll be collabing with some of them in the future, but we will just see on that one. Yeah, that's awesome that you're starting to surround yourself with like-minded people you know one of the things that you read a lot if for those out there that read about kind of like personal development or entrepreneurship or business or anything like that is you're you're a product of who you surround yourself with and if you surround yourself with people who are going to contribute to your success then that's how you're going to gain success but if you can you surround yourself with people who drag you down or don't want to contribute to your success and that's when you're going to kind of plateau in life so the fact that you're surrounding yourself with all these other creators, especially ones that are on your level and also those that are like slightly above your level or a couple levels above you, that's going to kind of keep you humble, but also give you a good like network to kind of keep climbing that ladder. Certainly, certainly. I, I'm all about that. I love surrounding myself with great people. And I think that's like the most important thing if you want to grow and get better, just to always be surrounding yourself with like people that are better than you and people that motivate you and people that inspire you. And that's been like so huge because I've been able to pick my networks. And I think like that's something that's really special about this trip as well. 
So one thing I hear a lot about LA is that it's just kind of like a, a dog eat dog world out there, just like completely different than anywhere else in the in the country. Can you can you vouch for that? Since you, I like, can vouch for that a hundred percent. People like I've never met before here. Um it's it's very savage. Uh not necessarily savage like on the outside, but there are like people that are like clout chasers or like trying to use you. And I haven't experienced that too much, but I've just like seen that like at these small events, like I've just seen people trying to climb their way up and trying to like make connections inorganically. And for me, it's like a lot like, do I bond with this person? Like I don't care if you have one point two million followers on YouTube or like on Instagram, whatever. Like, I just care, like, if you're, like, a cool person and if I could actually hang out with you and make content with you. Because at the end of the day, if you have 100,000 followers or if you have a million, of course, like, the one with a million has 10x more. But if I can bond with this person a lot more, then I can grow with this person a lot more and, like, be able to create content more organically with this person. And so for me, it's more like, can I see myself actually working with this person as opposed to how many followers do they have? Oh, yeah, I think that's the way to go for sure. Because, I mean, you hear about all the controversy that went down with like the team 10 house and like Jake Paul, like all those dudes were like super big influence or Jake Paul is a huge influencer. And he kept bringing in like, I guess you could say quote unquote micro influencers with 1 million, 2 million, 3 million followers. But it sounds like shit hit the fan over there pretty fast. And I guess that's what happens when you kind of mix all these people together who are in it for the the views and the, the growth, but definitely not in it for like, being just genuine friends and kind of growing as a community yeah i think that can really easily happen to those larger creators with 20 million subscribers uh because you know there's a lot of people that just want that clout they just want those subscribers and they want to work their way up in the chain and they say i'll do whatever for it and like not to say that i've seen that already but I may have already seen that here. And, uh, you know, like, I just think that's really interesting and something that is uniquely LA because in no place in the world are you going to find people trying to be friends with other people for how many Instagram followers they have because nowhere else in the world are you going to find so many people with absurd amounts of Instagram followers. Like, I was at this party and I met this dog that has way more Instagram followers than me. It had 170,000 followers on Instagram and 500,000 followers on TikTok. I was like, why is your dog so famous? Like, this is really weird, but also kind of funny. Um, and so, like, I just think, you know, this is a very special place for that reason. It's also a positive and negative. Man, what a time to be alive where little animals can create a full-time career <laughs> on social media. I know. I was talking to... Uh, tofu the corgi's owner and i was like did your dog do brand deals because like that's like a great way to make money and stuff and um and she's like yeah yeah like i do brand deals for tofu and i was like oh my gosh like that is ridiculous that your dog does brand deals <laughs> it makes sense, it makes sense. <laughs> i know i know it's it's pretty funny tofu the corgi give it a follow tofu's the best <laughs> that's hilarious uh who do you think the biggest um, I guess creator you've run into is so far in LA. I saw Danny Duncan's Tesla the other day, like literally yesterday. I saw Danny Duncan's Tesla. It has giant horns on the front. Like, uh, but the biggest that I've personally met is like 1.2 million Instagram followers. Like, I don't really value TikTok followers. I think it's like one to ten ratio. So like a million's like a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. Uh, so like I met a guy with like 1.2 on uh, Instagram, which was pretty cool. And he also had a YouTube channel with like 800,000. And I actually genuinely valued him as a person. I thought he was like a really great person. And before he even said his numbers, I was like, this dude is like super cool. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he was super famous. And uh, that's probably the biggest so far. Um, but like, I don't really care too much about numbers. Um, you know, I, I don't know. But yeah, pretty big. Yeah, that's cool. That's I feel like it's awesome to see. Oh, I mean, I haven't seen it, but for you to see all of these creators kind of behind the cameras and stuff, or what they're like behind the cameras, because I mean, all the YouTube sees is what the like this the content these people put out. So you get you get to genuinely meet these creators, and even though you're actually you're a creator as well, so just kind of bonding with all these people, and you guys probably relate a lot on, I guess, just whatever what goes on in the creator world. <laughs> Oh, definitely. There, There's a lot to bond over, especially like with that fellow YouTuber. I think we had a lot to bond on. And I think for like YouTubers, it's like usually a more genuine look at who that person is. Whereas with some of the TikTokers that I've met, like 
no shade on the TikTokers. I just think that like they're easily they easily can create a persona for themselves um, and like be less genuine because it's like 30 second, like 15 second, one minute videos. And not to say that they're bad people. I just think that they're a little bit different or a little bit less confident or a little bit less blah, blah, blah as their internet persona, which is good. Like I, I value that they can create a persona for themselves and carry through with that. Like, I think that's really cool. Um, but yes, TikTokers, interesting YouTubers, you know, I'm, I'm a YouTuber. So, you know, I, I side with the YouTubers, but maybe I'll have to join TikTok because everybody's convincing me, like all these TikTokers seem like they really enjoy it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm kind of interested to see how TikTok plays out. Cause right now it's giving off really vine like vibes, which was able to create some amazing careers for a lot of like current YouTubers. They all started on vine. So I wonder if it's going to kind of take that route where, these creators build themselves up super big on TikTok and then shift over to like posting videos on Facebook, posting videos on YouTube, Twitter, other platforms that'll kind of allow them to start to optimize and monetize their platforms. Definitely. I'm certainly interested to see how it carries over. I know some people have already started trying to pull people over to their Instagrams and to their new channels. And I've actually advised like one of my friends uh, that's growing a TikTok right now to start pulling people over to your Instagram. Like that's where the money's at. Like not to say that that's where the money's at, but like that'll be more valuable for you down the line. Um, and so like, it's really interesting to see how people develop and like how these new uh, influencers popping on the scene are going to handle their, their stardom, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so as we sort of wrap things up, you talked a lot about kind of your future goals of running. Like you want to run sub 14 in the 5k you're training for a half marathon in LA. Do you think LA is going to be kind of your home for a while where you start to build yourself as a person and also start to pursue your running career and your YouTube career? Or do you still have plans to travel more and f- maybe find a place to settle down later? I definitely have plans to travel more, but I think for a period of time, I will be staying in LA for the value that it provides. And I think that while I'm in these like younger years of my life, I think LA is going to be one of the best places for me to grow and develop and build a business. Um, but like, I think further down the line, I'd be more somebody that would live in like San Francisco or right outside of San Francisco when I'm older. Um, or like maybe even one of the surf towns in between here and uh, San Francisco. I really do like the West Coast. And, you know, I think on my journey, I was trying to find places that I would love to live. And I think LA is somewhere that you know, I, I, I would like to live, um, especially if I had like a really good friend that I could live with. Like if I could live with like my, my hometown friends, that would be incredible um, because it would be like a grounded group to build out from. Um, but I think like much further down the line, I would live probably somewhere that's not LA. Like when I'm getting into my older years, I guess um, that's like super far out. But just like from that perspective, um, LA is for now and the future is somewhere else. But I definitely yeah. will be traveling while in the van, just maybe not like a ton. Yeah, I got you. Well, man, I wish you the best of luck on all that. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's been great chatting with you. If you guys have not already, make sure you go check him out on YouTube. Your YouTube channel is just Zach Levitt. And then also on Instagram, Levitt. Make sure to give him a follow, give him a subscribe, thumbs up on the videos. He makes awesome content, super consistent. As you've seen, he's been posting weekly videos ever since he was a senior in high school. So make sure you follow him, follow along on his journey, living in a van. This is something that a lot of people dream about doing, but no one ever does. So it's really a really special opportunity to witness someone doing that. So yeah, make sure you follow him. And yeah, thanks for coming on, Zach. Thank you so much. Have a great day.